in your eyes what do you make of the lives of indian students who move to the us for fatter pay packages don't have expectations that you will create greatness when your objective was money because a lot of times you may not get both do you ever talk to indian immigrants in the us about this brain drain situation a lot of them have come back and want to come back Give me the one on one of Y Combinator right from the definition of what an incubator is up till the point where you exited Y Combinator. Usually they want multiple co-founders because they know it's hard. You need a partner to work with. You don't need to have any revenue. You can be pre-revenue. This is what the Shark Tank watching audience doesn't understand about the truth of running businesses. Venki Balasubramanian has been one of the most fun conversations I've had this year because it was an engineering and entrepreneurship themed conversation. It's for aspiring. startup founders it's for aspiring young professionals honestly because this is the kind of conversation that i wish i had listened to when i was 22 and my own career was beginning you know there's a whole host of indian entrepreneurs who are running the so called boring businesses b2b businesses which are not as glamorous as the businesses that you hear about the businesses whose products you end up using in daily life but imagine creating a company which rakes in 400 crore rupees every single year what's that taken beginning from a place of being broken life to creating a mammoth of this size it's a very genuine raw conversation there's a lot of value within it you're definitely going to find value if you're from the startup world if you aspire to be in the startup world but i hope that this podcast finds more listeners than just startup professionals this is venki b of plevo on trs usually i begin podcast in a very slow gentle easy going way i'm going to begin this podcast in a very harsh manner 400 crores a year that's the revenue of the business you've built out how does it feel venki b i think it feels proud it's taken a decent bit of time i do reflect on it from time to time we could have done better but i don't want to take i don't want to take away from what we've done so far uh yeah and it it like growing up this was one of my dreams to be able to create an enterprise that's large enough to create an impact i feel like we are on that journey now how much is that in dollars 400 crores is 50 million although we are like further along mm. than that but that's what we publicly talk about okay um now i'll ask you how you are how are you wengi bhi i'm good i'm good uh yeah i'm feeling excited to sort of get started with this in the age of shark tank especially when it comes to indian audiences and i think that's changing because of nikhil kamath and his podcast because people are getting to know about business leaders but in the age of shark tank when it comes to indian audiences people often associate massive business sizes with glam businesses very straight up you're kind of a b2b business not kind of you are a b2b business uh you're not out there in that cool business uh bracket uh does that bother you at all like is that an angle you think of at all because as they say the real money is in b2b so what do you have to say about this thought and i'm sorry i'm being so direct with you man no no absolutely so i mean it's not just also glam but also a lot of businesses are valued or perceived by how much money they've raised 
that's the other glam factor there it's not just glam from a branding perspective you know i think that's in bangalore is it yeah that's a bit of the bangalore echo chamber according to me and mm. it kind of spreads to like mumbai and gurgaon a, a bit of gurgaon as well yeah yeah but uh, anyway go on sure yeah so i mean for us look i think our company's dna is a lot from our founder dna right me and my founder mike we are both tech geeks at heart builders at heart we like to put our heads down solve a problem you know create value for customers is what we've done all this while so for us a uh, brand was a conscious thing we had to focus on we never focused on creating a brand from day one hmm. it just happened to be we were at the right place right time raise money from you know some of top eight year vcs we didn't raise a lot of money though we are part of y combinator which is you know very sort of a premium tier accelerator in the us so all of that obviously created a little bit of glamour back in 2012 we part, we were in tech crunch right uh, and when you raise money you get be in different media houses and all of that so all that happened so we had our initial uh, share of glamour but then you know reality struck we, that also got us customers in the initial days but then reality struck you can't run your business by just focusing on that it's about adding value to your customers and then are your customers sort of like one of our values is customer obsession but the, is the customer also obsessed to sort of promote you and go out of their way to get you a uh, talk about you right so that's what we realized very quickly because we've made a lot of mistakes in our initial years okay uh i'll just pause you a little bit there in my eyes as a media professional glamour is more visibility hmm. in your eyes as a startup professional glamour is raising a lot of venture capital that also gets you visibility because people talk about it so media professionals TechCrunch was an example. India's similar story. People start talking about it. Employees look at how much money you've raised, who have you raised from, especially senior talent. A lot of times, mm. yeah. Like if you want to hire a director, VP, execs, a lot of times people look at these were questions before. So now we're going through a different market phase, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, and we've had those cycles in the past as well. But a lot of times it'd be, uh, I've I've seen you only raise two million dollars. Are you guys? Uh, healthy enough do you have money in the bank how will you afford me like those sort of questions would come in at an earlier time so yeah i mean i think people do care about it but now i think people have come across the entire circle 360 degrees so easy going man like you're such an easy going guy like i actually feel like i'm talking to another student in engineering college when i'm talking to you on a human level i have two questions for you okay and answer this from your heart and not the brain The first question is how does it feel when you raise a significant amount of VC money and it hits your bank account and now you have all this cash to spend how does your heart feel Secondly the question is how does profitability feel sure. and is there a difference in the two feelings Sure absolutely um yeah I think that's a great question so I I think the answer is uh the first one right like when you raise VC money it feels exciting I think exciting because you've lot of plans you want to get all that done now you have fuel essentially to go ahead and run your plan so it's exciting is the right word when you're profitable i think it's exciting but i think the more the the larger feeling is powerful powerful not in a negative sense in a positive sense because now like i said you get to control your own destiny you know that whatever plans you are building you continue to be profitable even if it means i have to compromise on let's say my 2024 plans in terms of growth and that's a discussion we have all day long in the last what 12 to 18 months with the market cycles because we know buying from different companies is slowed down right uh, explain that in layman's terms meaning meaning let's say i have a customer i sell to 
they also have budget constraints right so they are also you know cutting their spends and all of that so which is what i meant by buying has slowed down the other side like a customer side the budgets are uh, waning down from a buying perspective so we have to plan very uh, conservatively like we create two versions of the plans right a conservative plan which i know for a fact i will hit with 100% probability and then you create a 70% plan 70% probability plan and when think like it is important that like as a leader and as a leadership team you plan around that because a lot of times in these markets you don't have a lot of control right like you think oh i will get x million dollars of revenue in the first quarter second quarter but because of the market conditions things may be very different and we re- realized that in the last 12 to 18 months right so that's why it feels even more powerful to be profitable because i know i am this is not growth at all costs even if i go slow so i call this defense mode like that's what we talk about internally in our own hands right so for the next 12 to 18 months we're in defense mode where we're willing to take a cut on our growth rates but profitability is very key we'll double down on profitability right and then once the markets are back on track then we go in attack mode Hmm. Right, so that's how we think about it. So it feels powerful to be sort of be in control of your own destiny. Hmm. Um, let's have a very raw business conversation. How much money have you raised totally for the business? We've raised less than a couple of million dollars in venture capital money. Hmm. In venture capital money, you're not essentially taking a loan because, hmm. uh, but what you're giving in return is your equity in the company. You're giving away stake to the venture capitalists, right? So. i mean in hindsight one could think like why even take venture capital money because uh you know you sort of are giving away stake one finder stake becomes very valuable have i not shot myself in the foot right but i don't think it's that easy an answer because lot of times a uh, loan comes with a lot of uh, mind space because loan like you said we have to pay that back over here i don't have to pay this back that's what we're trading right that's why they're called venture capitalists they're investing to say okay i want my 10x 20x return in 7 8 10 years and that's why they invest in the in the company but they expect like l- legally i'm not bound to pay that back right uh, and obviously the downside for them is the company bombs their money is gone the upside for them is selling that stake that they own for a larger amount of money 10 20x minimum what if the venture capitalist chooses to keep the stake then do they get access to your dividends yeah they usually don't choose to keep the stake that's their model because venture capitalists also raise money from various different fund houses sure right so the usually the return cycle is 7 to 12 years uh, 12 is on the higher side usually 7 to 10 years right so mm. they want to make sure they're able to give their investors they call them lps limited partners they want to give them returns back in 7 to 10 years god right so they have they want to get out by 10 years typically right that's venture capital we also have raised venture debt around uh, we raised that in 2017 that's the loan that's a loan that's a classic loan right there's an interest rate to that uh, we raised it in us you must have heard of silicon valley bank which tanked earlier this year so uh, in 2023 so silicon valley bank is was our banker and we raised money from them this in 2017 this was a loan it's called venture debt right uh, how, how much money did you take we raised about 8 million dollars okay and you paid back the 8 yeah we paid all of that back because we had more profit in the bank so typically the way this works is anybody who raises venture capital also raises a venture debt and they raise the venture debt off of the venture capital as a security Right, so usually you want to do that because in, in U.S. interest rates are very low. Hmm. So we raised it at like two two and a half percent into twenty seventeen. So it's a no brainer, hmm. right? Uh, so we raised that. The reason we were able to raise eight million is because we had more cash in the bank at that point. Can you explain your whole business model in three sentences? 
sure three sentences that's going to be a little hard um, we charge companies businesses companies on a consumption basis just like how in the older days not now in the older days you would pay a vodafone and airtel to make that call right to send that message it's this exact same model but with businesses right it's a very consumption based sort of a model where the number of messages they send on our platform or the number of calls they make on the platform they pay basis that the the usage based model so so that's how i would summarize it very simple business you're model. giving them a cheaper alternative to reach out to their own customers it's i i would necessarily not say cheaper because a lot of times what folks end up doing is comparing it with let's say jio or airtel or what have you and they would say you know this is all unlimited when i buy a consumer plan why am i paying per message per uh, calling and so on it come for the service they use it's uh dramatically lower cost i wouldn't use the word cheaper it's dramatically lower cost why won't you use the word cheaper because when the moment you use the word cheaper there's a com- tendency to compare with uh apple store oranges that comparison starts to become like i give you an example of jio and airtel so sometimes you know consumers ask like why would i even pay per usage for a call because it's all unlimited in the consumer space so let me just give you a quick an example of why that is right you call your icic bank or your bank or you know you call a hospital Uh, call center number you versus and i'll just quickly explain the difference with that with a consumer versus you call your friend your friends on one call right but the second person calls they get a busy waiting line but a call center number can never get a busy waiting line hmm. so 100 people calling 200 people calling 1000 people calling all of that has to be answered and be able to either go to an ivr which is press 1 for sales press 2 for support or press 1 for credit card press 2 for debit card right or it, it there's a real agent or a call center agent talking to so it's almost always uh, what we offer has to infinitely scale to mm. business requirement you can never give them a busy line it's a business right versus a consumer they only need one line which is why they are able to give you unlimited sort of packaged plans in this it is uh, uh on a consumption based model and also it's uh, which is why i said it's lower cost so so now if you compare the, the moment you say lower cost what are you comparing it against imagine having to set up all that complexity i just i just said right some sort of an announcement some sort of hardware for that some sort of software for that uh, taking the call in from the telco routing the call so i mean i don't want to get in the weeds but you get my point that's why i use the word lower cost so our job here is when i when i give you all this as a business i give you all of this service the cost if you were to do it yourself is like 70 80% lesser mm. right uh, cheaper always goes to the cheapest option then consumers start comparing it with my airtel phone number or my jio phone number or you know at&t in the us or t-mobile whatever i'm trying to have a very transparent slightly bro style conversation with you so pardon my language but i know the mindset of all my friends in engineering college who went to america right after college neither you nor me are from an iit or bits or uh what have you sure that range of engineering colleges we from that second rung or maybe the third rung i don't know what your college but i'm pretty sure you're also in like a similar boat to me yeah my direct question to you is how does a brown guy like yourself who's gotten out of an indian engineering college pardon my language have the think about growing a business of this size sure because i don't see that a lot with a lot of my friends who've gone to america with everyone i know who's gone to america not a single person that i know of is consciously thinking of starting a business everyone just wants to 
have a comfortable work life balance situation have a comfortable salary and have a lot of sex there sure these are the brackets that they are enjoying about usa there's a lot of stuff that they don't enjoy about america i've not heard one of them talk about building a business or in fact the first brown guy i know who started in a regular run of the mill engineering college in india and then went there and built a massive global business so let's talk about guts and let's talk about that early vision and maybe let's also talk a little bit about your career path quickly so that people have context sure I, those are all loaded questions so i'll i'll go step by step and you may have to sort of get me back to the first question is give a tiny answer on your career path sure yeah so plew was actually not my first startup my first startup was in 1999 it was ironically also into voip it was delhi to mumbai free online calling so that's what my that was my first startup this was in the time of alta vista lycos back in the day uh, i i was 16 back then so that was my first one so i think with me you also said like what led you to that for me i was very clear i wanted to do something on my own i don't know why but that's what that's been within me like from childhood you didn't go to america right after engineering college no 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 you stayed here yeah yeah okay i mean starting something in us was never the thought right it was just that i wanted to do something on my own so that was my first business and that happened in india although my sponsors like it was free calling so somebody had to sponsor it so the model was you had to listen to an ad before the call happened and then somebody would pay for that hmm so the sponsors was from us right there was a platform in the us that would pay for it so that was my first startup we made about 5 lakh rupees in the first startup uh, 1999 i was in 10th 11th you in your 10th standard you started your first yeah, yeah. go on yeah so that was the first one my second one was uh, so my third year of college we built a humanoid robot as in college as a college project and then i commercialized that into a company it was called robonance 2004 was the robot and 2005 is when i graduated and that's Damn, when dude. and that's when i uh, started a company around that how come you didn't get into an iit and all that i like everybody else i think i prepared for iits i found it too theoretical i like i was very disconnected very quickly like i love physics math and chemistry chemistry not so much math and physics i love okay but i can't sit and read books and answer questions if it's practical is what gives me a kick so you know i've even done projects so i had very strong fascination towards physics so i built my first electromagnet in in my 6th standard <laughs> right nice and like a ev car also the same time my third one was uh, uh, a completely different one this was a momo fast food outlet which later become a cloud kitchen called hunger break in ahmedabad so by then i had been to us i'd stayed there for a while and then i came back and and did this that was an interesting journey my second one like i was saying uh, it made not too much money but around 15 lakhs ish uh, the third one i lost a lot of money because of a lot of capex investment in like a fast food outlet and stuff this was right after engineering college no engineering i graduated in 2005 i did the robonance thing uh, the robotics startup that didn't go too far 15 lakhs and then i went took up a job i was in corporate life for 2 years 2 and 1/2 years to be precise and then came in in india I, i the job was in india but i was traveling okay to various parts of the world my job was a traveling job like i was a 
sales engineer so i would travel with the sales team and do demos and presentations and all of that so it was a like i would rarely be in bangalore rarely it was all over the place in terms of travel why did you stay in china and indonesia yeah so that came later it came post uh, the third one okay let's get back to the third one then mm. you sure. lost money yeah, in that yeah. momo startup yes so i lost like i had invested about 35 lakhs from credit card loans all of my money was taken from that i had like all top tier credit cards because of my corporate life all the travel i had so every bank would give me top tier credit cards i had a lot of credit limit on that i maxed everything out 35 lakhs and uh, did you go broke yeah i mean 35 lakhs of debt so worse than broke <laughs> you were at minus 35 minus lakhs, 35 lakhs. in terms of personal net worth yes yes minus 35 lakhs so not broke i think broke is a good place to be in <laughs> how did it feel being that broke it is not easy right like there were times where uh, you had to literally take decisions on so i was in ahmedabad it's very very hot in ahmedabad like 42 43 degrees so then literally decide like am i going to spend that money on buying an ac or do i invest that you know 15 20 25000 rupees on you know doing something more for the fast food thing right so so those kind of decisions had to be taken so it's not easy then imagine sleeping under that heat it was really hot right and i'm not i've not grown up in ahmedabad so i was not used to that heat so yeah it's not easy uh, and that's when you realize so before that two years of corporate life i was a spendthrift i still am a spendthrift i was a spendthrift i'd spent a lot of money on buying these you know premium brand shoes and gadgets and designer watches like a, i was a watch buff i don't wear watches anymore i was a watch buff so spent a lot of money in all of this and that's when you realize like what do i do with all this stuff now that's not going to help me pay off my loans so i went through that phase you sold off all that stuff yeah yeah at very cheap cost because you had to get money somehow right damn dude yeah yeah so that was like i had a wacker and constantin watch and that was insanely expensive and i sold it at like 80% lower prices financially speaking how was your childhood i come from a very middle class family so both my parents work or were working both mom and dad and uh, yeah so i've seen like a very typical regular middle class lifestyle where you know lights are on 5 o'clock in the morning in the house and lights are only off by like 10:30 11 at night so it's a i mean consciously subconsciously i came from that mindset that like you have to work hard in life to make it right and and i think my parents are my role model in that so a lot of the philosophy uh, around you know how hard do you work do you, how many hours do you work all that i don't even think about it like it's not even a question in my head because that's how i see my parents work and if they had not done that i i i wouldn't be privileged enough to you know be where i am because they set the foundation for us as a family okay um like i often tell some of my younger teammates that even with all this this podcast this glamour these clothes etc somewhere on the inside i'm still a fitness trainer because that was my first job and i feel worried about even spending like 1000 or 2000 rupees even at this stage uh, and i think it's a very important trait to have in order to go long term in anything that you're doing would you agree you need to be a little bit a little bit of a miser or that middle class kid in you needs to be alive i i use the word frugality right so yeah i mean same here uh, which is also probably the reason it manifests itself as prioritizing profitability in the business that you build like first please earn money because we know the value of having very little money yeah yeah i mean i think uh, even today right like sometimes i have to remind myself 
stop negotiating i'm i also have that you know delhi wala in me where anywhere i go i negotiate so i have to remind myself like what are you doing why are you negotiating with this guy right so but yeah i think frugality is very very important uh it's like even in the company the way we run things everything is like we think from from that mindset like meaning if this was my personal money how would i mm. deal with it and then your middle class mentality comes in mike's also from the similar sort of background so both of us align very well from that perspective probably why asians do well on a global stage asians in general yeah i would i don't want to generalize it right uh, another side of it yeah also. i mean rich kid families are very different in india india asians like chinese rich kids are super spoiled right a singaporean rich kids come coming from a chinese background right i mean there are a lot of movies around in netflix as well those super ultra rich rich kid family so i think it depends on your upbringing your value system i think some of those things built early in life are difficult to change over time some people do for me like i said money was never important i think money is needed it's important enough so that you don't have to think about it but beyond that it doesn't give you a kick anymore so you're broke you had minus 35 lakh rupees how did you go to zero from minus 35 lakhs yeah i mean just i, I just quit and got a job because i don't think i was enjoying it i think that was the main reason i quit uh it's a very momo like a fast food or cloud kitchen very operational business like if you don't show up if you don't sell x number of momos every single day you don't make money in fact i think the most enjoyable time of that like at that point was me building a robotic machine to create build or or to create momos or whatever to make momos i think is the right word to make momos that was my most enjoyable thing so i quickly realized like while i wanted to start a restaurant at some point back in the day my heart was at tech that was very clear then so i said okay let me go back to tech again finish off my loans and then we'll start we'll we'll figure out where to go from there this so this is in your 20s yeah yeah i was 24 when i did the momo thing so i went back uh, to corporate life i joined this company called huawei and uh, yeah and and huawei gave me a lot of exposure i was there with huawei for 3 years you went to china yeah huawei Stayed in china yeah i was in china for a year and i was in brazil for a year with huawei in indonesia indonesia i had visited traveled for work in my previous stint but i was in indonesia for almost 6 to 9 months in your phase in china you realized how much importance is given to work longer work hours extreme hustle mentality the chinese go to war for the sake of their work yeah uh downside is possibly mental health issues uh kind of boxed thinking which you see with which you see often with chinese people all over the world yeah yeah is there anything you'd like to add about china no i think i think those that summarizes that pretty well in terms of what is required to be done and then also i think uh, the mentality that china at that time when i joined huawei 2008 China wasn't what it is today. Like China is almost practically a superpower today, right? Uh, after US, it wasn't the same today. So they had to. They were very clear in their mindset that they have to work hard to get to what they need to get to. That's what I liked about the the country and the folks in there. Like it was very very mission and purpose driven. They knew that they're not born with a silver spoon. They'll have to work hard to get to where they need to get to. And that was my learning, right? What time mentality? I learned that from there. but also i think this mindset that like we'll have to work extra hard to get to where we need to because otherwise other countries will take over mm so that that call it fire call call it virat kohli mentality yeah yeah i mean you have to work extra hard to get to where, where you need to you can't be comfortable saying oh we are just take it for granted saying oh anyways we're going to be the manufacturing hub of the world 
so we don't need to do anything and we'll just make it i think this is what indians need to understand about the chinese that it's a country full of different caliber virat kohlis in terms of mentality that's what they're boxed into sure. at least this is what i've heard generally yeah i've seen less of creative side there more of execution side there it's a very good at execution they will out execute you like if you're competing with the chinese you can count on the fact that they will out execute you what is out execute meaning just put in more hours more hours do it better than you like the actual execution right do it better than you in terms of execution uh, like for example manufacturing this, that's why it's called a manufacturing hub or or the capital of the world right because there is focus on precision and making sure like even apple manufactures in china let's go one layer deep why are they able to execute better one is the number of hours second is sincerity and dedication like they dedicate to the art of whatever they're doing so for example i even gone into huawei's manufacturing huawei had a lot of phone manufacturing chip manufacturing router manufacturing all physical equipment manufacturing right? so i've gone inside and check check that out and what you see there is like the people are not wondering when is my lunch break right when is my tea break when is my next break what have you right there's no time for gossip chit chat nothing, nothing there's no south delhi ki lavanya yeah you could just say that or or any part of the country for that matter right like there none of that when they're working they're just working right and that to me is like fascinating so they're not even bothered about who's coming watching us like we would go as visitors you know walking around the manufacturing setup nobody cares you're doing your job i'm doing mine they're focused on their thing and they do it like like a religion Okay, maybe the answer that I was looking for is what's in the education system that's making them this way, because I, if everyone goes through the education system, I think the whole country is literate. I would not say a lot of these folks are like, you know, engineer educated sort of levels. At I least twelve so. standard. Yeah, yeah. Most most folks are, but tier two, tier three, maybe not. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of poor places in China also. But then, okay, at least tier one, which is possibly driving the growth sure. of the country. Sure. what's going so correct in the education system that we don't have because even we have tier 1 populations here which are pretty capable but there's right. something that we're f***ing up compared to them hmm, that's a that's a good question i mean i've i have not thought about it from that perspective but i think one of the things is in india i think especially india i mean i can compare it with india and i maybe we'll come back to us and and talk about us a, a bit as well i think in india we have this tendency And, and this can be controversial say we, it yeah we have this tendency to sort of overthink and over question everything right like we don't trust the process in china that's not the case they trust the process that's what i've seen i think that's the major difference between indian uh, culture and, and and chinese culture they believe in doing yeah let's do it and let's not keep questioning everything let's not keep second guessing am i am i going to get this output like in hindi there's this quote right karma nivade karase same thing that they have that same mindset let's not keep let me do my part the most let me not worry about the result and the outcome okay one layer deep maybe it's because in india we fear shame as an emotion shame or failure i mean shame as an outcome of failure that's sure. what i was sure. going for like yeah. as in it basically boils down to gossip culture in india that what are people say with and yeah. it is a thing the social pre- social pressure from failures i think that's how i would uh, you know so i mean even i had that when i was doing my momo thing i wasn't too sure if i should tell everybody because i'm doing a momo thing after being an engineer and i was a computer science grad so with that background i also had that during that time so probably this overthinking which is the problem for india is an outcome of the fear of shame possible 
possible like i i felt that during my times when i was doing my momo thing i would not go and tell everybody at that point and maybe in china failure is not looked down upon they, as much they don't worry about the outcome so much so even if there is failure or success they don't worry about the outcome have i put in my 100% to the best of my abilities that's the focus that is a clear cultural difference in terms of macro strategy like the leaders at the top i am assuming they would be cut from the same cloth yeah but is there anything difference in chinese leaders versus indian leaders i i i think the wartime mentality is for sure like they do, they're not worried about taking on the the big shots in the market like if you're not a market leader they're not worried about taking on something somebody larger right so that underdog mindset is a very different mindset as from leadership perspective you got to be aware that you are an underdog which means you don't have all the luxuries of what a larger competitor has they may have more employees they may have more money they have a bigger brand they have more customers in spite of not having all of that how do you go compete with them and be prepared to get your backside kicked right so that i have seen for sure in leadership there i'm not saying we don't that have we don't have that in india there are good leaders who are doing that in india now especially the new set of folks but i think it's a more like there's a larger set of leaders i've seen uh in china who come with that mindset bigger possible yeah i mean i, I i'm just thinking of a of a different phrasing uh either that or not too worried about again i mean i think they're not too worried about like what if i am not able to get to my outcome like i think i think uh, elon says it very well right so, uh, i think uh, joe rogan or or lex friedman was asking him this question in one of his podcasts like what's your plan b or plan c if, if plan a doesn't work and he says i don't think like that right like for me like once i decide something needs to be done it needs to be done right till death i think that's the mindset there in china versus what do you see in bangalore or mumbai or gurgaon i think too many people have plan b's and plan c's too many plan b's and plan c's and then always second guessing your outcome oh like time boxing it and we are also taught from this culturally from childhood cut your losses have a timeline right move on and in a lot of cases that's not a bad thing but i also feel like from my own experiences in life would i have done better if i was always not second guessing myself i absolutely think so now I, and and that's one thing i sort of exhibit or or try to you know work on on a day to day basis at plio right not second guessing all the time what's life like in china just daily life it's a lot of work obviously Our long life, work life. hours yeah yeah like long work hours life i i i mean i'm i'm a tea uh, you know connoisseur so i love the china culture in terms of tea and health and uh, there's a lot of natural stuff natural eating they don't overcook food so from that perspective yes and then from work perspective very focused come in do your put in your hours uh, if get your work done and then go home and and i mean enjoy or not enjoy is questionable yeah this is what i want to know because i feel like career growth is an outcome of what you do in your free time as well so what do chinese people do in their free time i don't think people have a lot of second careers or other things they think at least when i was there i did not see that maybe times have changed now with all the influencer culture and a lot of other alternative life streams or or money streams coming in maybe that's changed now but when i was there it was single thread right like people would just have one single thread focus and just do that and they were happy with that i'm 
people were not complaining like my colleagues i was not like a ceo of of huawei right so i was at a very middle management below that level so there you know the reality the ground check was people were happy doing what they were doing nobody complained nobody cribbed people happy doing what they did the vibe with indians yeah yeah i mean they yeah i mean you also end up learning a little bit of mandarin right i learned to count from 1 to 100 cuz then you can negotiate to buy stuff right so yeah uh, i learned a little bit of mandarin there but yeah very cool what conversations do you have with a regular chinese person it's just exchanging i mean i think there is a solid bond between indian and chinese culture like there's uh, that strength of bond with family so that's a common thread they do a lot of family dinners uh dinners usually right hot pot chinese hot pot they would have a pot of stuff to eat and they would the whole family would get together sundays are usually that and you vegetarian yeah i am so how did you manage being vegetarian, vegetarian? Uh, hot pots are also there you get vegetarian food there yeah yeah uh, okay so you have to be a little careful in terms of what they call vegetarian <laughs> for them a lot of things are also like non vegetarian is also vegetarian but once you've stayed there enough you know exactly what to ask for did that whole phase add value to your career 100% like in i biggest value was mentality mentality mindset and then i think so what i okay i'll go back to my third venture the momo piece right so my first two ventures now that i reflect back the first two ventures i was not fully in meaning i always had if those didn't work out i could always go do something else with my first startup i could go get my engineering degree which i did my second startup i just did it before my first job so if that didn't work out i could go get my first job so what i realized with my momo thing was i was all in i quit my job in the states came back and then did my venture i was all in so it's almost like when you're learning to ride a bike you have your those two tires or whatever it's on the side you know you will not fall you really don't learn to bike then right like you really learn to bike when you take those off that's what happened here so even though i failed there was a lot of realization after the fact right so that's the mindset i sort of learned when i came back or came back and and joined huawei 3 years of that when i started with plivo there was no looking back after that this was right after china plivo yeah yeah right after huawei so china first year next 6 to 9 months was indonesia and then brazil so the last one year was brazil i quit that and and then started plivo okay um plivo it's been 12 years 13 13 years 2011 right? 11 okay so 2024 yeah still in 2023 bro <laughs> don't know where this year went back sure uh 13 years and that's how long it took to reach this 50 million dollar mark fun fun but could have been faster that's how you look back at it yes could have been faster through faster execution making less mistakes but then truly i don't know if that could have been faster or not i think that's a big part of possible yeah i mean i'm i'm just reflecting to see this is a curse of an entrepreneur right like perfectionist especially you always want things to be better in and hindsight 2020 so you always look back and say i could have done these things better you always look at your work as a piece of shit yeah absolutely no matter how good it is yeah. i'm i'm like my biggest critic I think that's what it takes agree i've seen founders who truly criticize their work and i always value the founders who criticize their work just how i look at life yeah and 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 my co-founder mike he's the same right we both virgos in western astrology so we're like perfectionists so we are our biggest critics how did you find a white co-founder we found uh, like we met each other online just like how you have facebook instagram social networks there's a developer social network called github so we met on github 
looking at each other's code seven months in for the first seven months we didn't even meet he was in france i was in the states we met for the first time in chicago for seven months in right so like you said i lucked out in terms of or both of us lucked out finding each other's alignment to be uh, in the right direction and also our values to be very similar right like hard work ethical uh, coming from a background where frugality matters so all those things aligned very very well he's also an immigrant family yeah he was in france before that so he immigrated to us also yes absolutely french guy french okay right so so yeah i mean when we met it was very clear that there's a very strong alignment in terms of being able to trust each other i think that's the number one thing that's worked for us in fact y combinator paul graham who's the founder of y combinator used to tell us when we were part of y combinator back in 2012 that 50% and more startups just shut down in the first 2 3 years because of founder issues and we were very lucky that like everything else you can solve founder issues are very difficult to solve so we were at least lucky on that part right when i graduated from engineering college i was working as a fitness trainer to make money wanted to launch a startup that was the plan be by sas was not the plan didn't know abc's about running a startup and a friend of mine told me that go and search for how to start a startup it's a series of stanford lectures yeah, yeah. Uh, about basically startup 101 yeah watched it in 2015 right around the time i graduated i didn't even know how much it will help me over the next 8 years of my life starting all these things i have even applied it on the youtube channel in multiple ways it was basically run by y combinator and yeah, paul graham yeah yeah uh, at least paul graham has given the first 2 3 lectures if i'm not yeah. mistaken if yeah. i remember it right and i used to watch that series while taking notes which is what kind of pisses me off nowadays about a lot of people who say that they want to get into a business career but are not ready to self educate actually i don't know how the times have evolved now but i used to see that a lot around me no one would actually watch that series i remember the series having very very few views i think times have changed now sure people are just more pumped about business um i've always wanted to ask someone this and i've had people whose companies have been a part of y combinator earlier but i didn't think that the audiences were ready for this kind of a question which is why you meet me at the right point in my own timeline give me the 101 of y combinator right from the definition of what an incubator is up till the point where you exited y combinator give me everything about y combinator tell me about paul graham tell me about everything that young entrepreneurs especially indian entrepreneurs need to know about what sure. yc is sure yeah so paul graham has his fame from his own startup via web which is sold to yahoo in 1994 1995 that's how he became popular and then started writing a lot of essays so he's popular very popular for his essays so a lot of uh, first time entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs would read his essays and he talks about things that he he goes deep in length in terms of writing those essays so he has a, he has an essay for pretty much anything you can think about okay uh, things we would think about and say like i wish somebody could tell me or educate me on so that's how he became popular and then obviously they decided to do y combinator uh, with a couple of other partners and his wife jessica livingston so y combinator does not like to refer itself as an incubator they call themselves an accelerator so they and there's a difference right they they're saying i'm not here to incubate you i'm here to accelerate you meaning if you can get to x dollars in revenue by yourself if you come do a yc program which is 3 to 4 months i can i accelerate your revenue by 4x 5x right if i can't i wouldn't select you in the first place 
if we think we can is when we get you on board right so the program works it's changed a lot we were part of 2012 batch we were 80 companies in one batch for a period of 3 4 months now i think it's 200 250 companies in each batch has the quality of yc companies reduced i am biased so i would say yes really yeah i am biased why are you biased cuz i look at my batch of companies we had some great companies in our batch zapier instacart coinbase all of these are my batchmates right uh, in 2012 give me the 101 in terms of how do you apply so i'm assuming the basic requirement is that your company has to have made some money no it's not no 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 you just need to have a uh, usually they want multiple co-founders they do select people with uh, in a single co-founder mode but usually multiple co-founders because they know it's hard you need a partner to work with uh, you don't need to have any revenue you can be pre-revenue you but then how is it an accelerator of your pre-revenue so you they usually want you want you to have a prototype done so why combinator was not created for sales guys back in the day they wanted technical co-founders who could write code and build a product back in the day now i think they've changed over time airbnb and all of that they've seen success there they were not technical so they've changed that mindset now but earlier that's what the thought process was so they typically want something running even if it's no revenue they want a prototype or a product or what have you to be able to gauge you and they want to see the velocity right and then acceleration is on in terms of could be revenue could be customer adoption could be getting you to market like all they could accelerate any of those pieces so they don't judge you just based on the money that you've made absolutely not go on like in our batch i think we were maybe a couple like the only or maybe the two or three startups in our batch who had revenue nobody else had revenue like coinbase right brian armstrong i mean i still remember there's a funny story i'll probably talk about the anecdote funny and and ironical also uh, he was he just started coinbase nobody knew what bitcoin is back in the day 2012 and uh, he didn't have anything he was a single solo co-founder he was an exception and uh, he was distributing bitcoin to everybody to sign up for his product and try it how much bitcoin he gave us i think 1000 bitcoins to, <laughs> to sign up for sign up for the product and we didn't so that's the ironical story back in the day you turned down 1000 bitcoins i mean we didn't turn down we didn't we just didn't sign up so we didn't get it right so who knew bitcoin is going to be what it is today back in the day it was like it was not even a concept it was a it was a aren't easing so yeah so that's an example of how early it is like i think they also took a long shot at it i don't think uh in hindsight like anybody thought coinbase would be what it is today as an example so that those are the kind of bets yc was willing to take then i i i'm not sure if that's happening now but again i'm biased maybe it is i'm sure the yc partners would say differently what's the process you apply on their website yeah you apply on a website it's a form you got call it a business plan but it's not really a business plan it's it's like they will just ask you simple questions who are you going to sell to why do you think you can sell to them right uh, what do you understand about this market that you think you know better than all the other competitors those kind of questions it's a job interview for founders yes they just want to make sure you've thought through enough and they want to understand the depth of your understanding of what you're doing what you're doing yeah okay so say you get selected it's a brutal 30 to 45 minute interview in person so first you fill a form you get shortlisted across the globe they invite you to the bay area right in south bay in in the bay area and then it's a 45 minute brutal interview it's like three guys in the room three partners in the room i'm assuming i i'm i don't know if it's changed now this is back in the day and they then they go right like there are a lot of questions coming from all directions to be able to sort of answer those questions and uh 
the rejection rate is pretty high even then right so around i think 20 30000 people apply on form like on online and then i think about uh, 300 get selected out of that and then out of 380 get selected 780 back in the day from our numbers why brutal you don't have time to think it's like uh, you know questions in multiple different directions and you don't have time to think you need to be quick on your feet and also they ask you such quite fundamentally um, fundamental questions that make you think about like you your founder they're also trying to test if you guys are consistent in your answers so the same question may go to two like both of you at the same time from two different partners and they want you to like answer at the same time and see like if you guys are differing in your opinion so you don't have time to like look at each other sink through all of that right so that's they want to test founder chemistry a lot also they actually looking for the psychology that the two founders share absolutely in that interview they're not looking for your technical skills only that and technical chops definitely help right they last not you technical questions no not technical questions but they want to know they usually would have already figured out what you have done in your past when you fill the form because those they have those questions in there so they would have already judged you technically in the form when you're right in front of them they're usually checking for two three things founder chemistry psychologically like you said second authenticity like is there a lot of garbage in there or not and third i think is around uh, do you are you the same person you're claiming to be on the form so not just authenticity but also like you may have claimed a lot of things do you know the market well what do you know about the market can you give me insights so those they go into depth so effectively they are testing the relationship between the two founders and possibly the individual psychology uh, and it's a given that they're testing your clarity when it comes to your own product slash business yeah your understanding of the market and and your customer base in terms of what what unique perspective can you bring to the table what kind of preparation do you need in order to crack that y combinator interview yeah usually i i think uh, it needs a bit of practice in terms of getting used to being put under pressure it's mostly that but i think you just have to be genuine because you can't you know fake it you just cannot because if you fake it you'll be done in 20 minutes but what kind of pressure is put on you like are they rude not rude but stern no it's like a, a, a set of questions from multiple different partners directed to both of you guys so you're always context switching you don't have time to think which is where the truth comes out and exactly they, exactly trying to get to the exactly truth. so so that's what i'm saying if you're trying to fake it you not last more than 15 20 minutes you said out of 300 companies only 80 get shortlisted so my question is what happens to those 220 what's gone wrong one of these factors goes wrong i'm assuming mostly yeah so they like the application and then yeah something breaks down there they see that oh the relationship is kind of either relationship or let's say you said you want to i mean i'll give you our example so we got we didn't get in the first time we got in the second time we were rejected the first time so i asked paul graham why did he reject us the first time so and i'll give you an example of our, us so you can sort of correlate sure so we said we're going to sell to larger companies as an enterprises not medium sized businesses a larger companies and it was uh, like a mains competitor was also selling and they were in the us and both of us were immigrants so they rejected us two they gave us two reasons we had only met once in chicago they were not okay with that they wanted a good founder bond there and second they said for what you're telling me you will be able to sell to enterprises in us you you're not in us just doesn't seem realistic to me 
that you'll be able to crack into these enterprises like somebody who's like a you know on the ground sales guy understands us very well is has a larger chance to be able to crack that that's what they told us now that's why they rejected us first time and this was the rejection was first time in september of 2011 that was one of the batches we reapplied in feb 2012 uh, 2012 sorry and uh, they had two reasons right like found a bond so we had spent another 6 months shown progress on the product on customers revenue all of that and whatever they said could not be done we had already gotten half a million in revenue by then right so you had so, a sales team in the us no no i was selling you went yeah, to these companies yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. i was selling and uh, mike like both of us are developers or we can write code but he's a better developer than me so we split our roles i said i will sell remember i also came from a sales engineering background so i've seen sales guys right so i said i will sell you write code that's how we split our jobs so then i was selling we got our half a million in revenue so they saw, saw progress in both so that's the other trade they look for lot of times these are i wouldn't say moonshot bets but they're taking a bet right on founders so they also look at what did you commit and have you made progress on it like most companies that don't get in after second or third try that's a common pattern they would have claimed something in the first meeting even at the third attempt they have not gotten to what they claimed in the first part if you've already raised money from a vc be it indian or global can you still apply it wouldn't make sense because the valuation that vc is asking for is quite steep so the vc may not be okay with that right because vc would have given you a, a higher valuation already so then it's like a down round to the vc so usually vcs don't vcs would love to come in after a vc round they if you already done a vc doing vc becomes harder so for a group of young entrepreneurs who are starting out right now and want to apply to vc what's your big pieces of advice i won't just i'm sure there's not just a single piece of advice sure how do you get accepted i think first is like figure out who are you doing this with you should be a good co-founding team when i say good i'll qualify that a bit more you you get more points if you knew each other since college because that's where most of the best relationships form okay so that puts you in a strong light right there be clear on what your roles are and and explain that in the application if you both are developers great if one is a developer one is a business person that's good too if both are business people you need to be able to justify how are you guys going to be able to build a product cuz most times yc companies that apply to yc are tech companies right there's a good portion of tech there and if you don't have a tech co-founder most times it becomes very hard there are exceptions to this rule airbnb was an exception they did not have a developer but i think then you're sort of reliant on somebody who's non founding to come and build the tech for you so i think those are the two three pieces and then be able to show progress like be okay with the fact when you apply the first time there's a very high probability you will get rejected very very high probability because they are also testing you in terms of whatever commitment you're making the first time are you able to move quickly so most times people don't get through the first time uh, some companies have but that's an exception not the norm say you get accepted what happens to your life then like what happens from your viewpoint sure. as a founder so i'm assuming that most of all the companies that apply are small teams yeah uh, not too many co-founders i'm also assuming that they move at least the founding team to san francisco bay area yeah yeah for us it was south bay but now i think it's san francisco 
Okay. Right. So San Francisco in the north and south base where they were before. They just moved the founding teams. Founders, not founding team. Founders. Founders. Yeah. yeah. And then the teams can sit wherever they want. Yeah, yeah. They can be wherever they want. They need the founders to be there for a period of four months. What do they make the founders do? So all the founders are like think of it as a fast track course to um, you know getting a startup degree. I think I'm very putting it very badly, but no, sure. but that's the gist of it. Where you sort of come into one cohort. There are you know hundred two hundred other companies with founders in there, and then there are weekly dinners. Every week there's a dinner where there's a speaker who's an entrepreneur, not ex entrepreneur, entrepreneur who's running a later stage company that's relevant to come and talk they would come and talk about their experiences what they've done mistakes they've made everything's off the record so there's a lot of stuff that gets spoken there that you don't get to hear outside i think that's the number one value because then you realize okay look i can also be that because if they are doing this at 50 100 million dollars in revenue they've also made all these mistakes i'm similar i'm not different so if they can do this i can also do this so that's the belief they set and what these entrepreneurs talk about is varied it could be yeah, yeah. founder relationships raising money selling it could be anything related yes. to the startup ecosystem that and then also like all the mistakes they've made okay. they're very very open like that's what i'm saying is off the record it's not like a gyan session right so it, it's completely off the record they would talk about like the hiring mistakes they've had the people issues they have in the company like they open up completely they're also vc founders ex vc founders who made it right so so they would come and talk uh and i think that i feel like going reflecting back i think that's what sets the belief that like if they can do it i can also do it the core value that's added by yc to a startup that chooses to work with them is the environment that it's providing with all those other founders as well as all these external entrepreneurs that are brought in i th- is there anything else yeah that's a, that's a great question so when you out, from outside before we apply to yc we we thought the core value they had is setting your valuation because they're investing they give you some cash and then at the end of four months there's a demo day where they help you fundraise we thought that's the core value but it turned out to be the other way around when we did those four months it ended up being that cohort of group where you sort of compete you can look forward to them take help and then the other set of entrepreneurs that come and give you advice and there are office hours office hours is where you can bring up any problem you have in your company and then you talk to vc partners or entrepreneurs and they'll give you notes on direction and then you execute right so th- we realized that's the main value they added to us they also added a lot of credibility to us because when we go fundraising we say we're a vc company top eight year investors look at you it's like graduating out of iit right it's ivy league like vc is ivy league right so that definitely helps credibility is like for immigrant founders applying from a different country that definitely helps because it's very difficult to get an attention from an andreessen horowitz or the sequoias of the world where we were you know fortunate enough to after we graduated out of the batch to be able to get meetings with all of them without having to chase them who do those guys look at usually those meaning uh, the the vcs yeah so i mean they definitely look at yc as one of their pockets to invest because there are a lot of good companies that come out of yc and they also look at depending on their investment philosophy you know series b series c series d different stages of companies a lot of times it's also like ex founders people who are doing like second startups or third startups that's where look vc investment is all about three things right one can it give me it's a bet so is this what is the probability of this bet succeeding that's number one second is this the right team that is executing on this problem and then like uh, in terms of is the market large enough that's what they're looking at like 
are you talking about american vcs or vcs all over the world i think fa- this framework should apply to most vcs across the world uh, there's also fomo in the vc world but keeping fomo aside this is typically how the thesis is these three pieces right and then there's obviously a lot of co-investing or this vc is invested i need to be in the round and all of that that happens but primarily it's that have you ever raised money in india no 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 you have friends who raise money in india yeah a lot of friends and what do they say about indian vcs versus american vcs without naming anybody and naming any vcs i think there's a lot of um, like the original risk taking thesis is missing yet there's a lot of uh, have i seen this pattern before sort of investing that that has happened in india i think that will change over time when it's it's like a phase right so between silicon valley and india if you look at it over time valley also has gone through the same uh, pattern and, and india is going through that where the first phase is vcs invest create an ecosystem they get the returns out with exits or ipos or what have you once that's happened is where original thesis in investment will start coming because they're riskier bets so for that to happen they should have shown their results before to the lps only they can even only after that is when they can even go to the lps and raise money for that like a lot of vcs also do that uh, separately in their funds they sometimes they even allocate different kinds of funds for these the riskier bets versus late stage funds versus early stage funds versus what have you right so i think in india there's not lot of original thought but there are vcs who take those bets right uh, but that's what i've generally heard right generally it is if you're from ivy leagues like if you're from one of the iits there's a higher probability you get funded if you're not from one of these iits you need to have a solid uh, trust credibility already created so either vc or ex founder who sold a company before some track record and and i don't i don't think that's wrong if i were a vc i would do the same thing because it's about like making sure you ha- you pick the highest probability of success so that's what's happening in india is what i've heard from at least my friends are they happy with the experience working with indian vcs it's subjective i don't think it's a yes or no answer that's why i took time to think about it right i i think it's subjective are they happy possibly could there be more value added yes the narrative with a lot of my friends from the startup world is that if you're trying to raise money ideally raise from global vcs not indian vcs that's also because of the valuation piece that comes in the in, a lot of times when you only do indian vcs you get low ball in terms of the valuation versus if it's globally you at least have a competitive foot and then you let let the best vcs figure itself out okay let's talk from a very practical perspective for a young founding team or young founders in general um you've built out an idea and perhaps you've built out a prototype sure okay at this point uh if you want to approach a vc for seed funding is that the right way to think according to you mm, i don't think so so i think for seed you should not go to vcs for seed funding usually you want to do if you have a network find if you can do a friends and family people who don't mind investing or figure out how to get money from angels cuz the moment you go to vcs now okay this is also changing i think in the next 5 years it'll become vastly different a lot of vcs also have now seed stage portfolios as in like a fund allocated for seed stages but i'm not sure if and this is my own experience in the valley also i don't know if vcs are still like while they have a portfolio allocated they still operate in the mindset of what is required at a seed stage it's very different as an angel you have to be very hands on just investing money is not enough 
a lot of times first time founders need a lot of other help that vc provides for example right so if you, you basically need mentoring rather than lo- just the money a lot of it right not just mentoring it can't be just gyan you need expertise also for somebody to come in and like be able to deep dive with you right get their hands dirty and and give you like first hand data driven advice Mm. right that requires either an ex entrepreneur or an angel who's run and done some of these things and so on right vcs don't have that much bandwidth especially if they allocate let's say 250k or a 500k number to you they just don't have the bandwidth for it because their returns are going to come from a large 20 30 40 million dollar investment so they're going to allocate their time there so the game is very different right so I, my suggestion is basis my experience seed stage is better to be angel focused if you can find friends and families even better Or if you can just make a little money from day one, even even better. <laughs> yeah, 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 and unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. No, it is getting harder now to sort of be in that mode, but nothing like it. If if that can be done, bootstrapping is the way to go, if possible. If if you can make that work, nothing like it, because then you don't have to give away stock early stage with seed, right? So nothing works like that, but it comes at a cost, and the cost is the pace at which you move, because one could argue that. is giving money like taking in money and giving away stock so early is that valuable it's a question of you need to think of money or fundraising as a lever not as a crutch mm. right and a lever of okay if i did not raise this money evaluate the pros and cons what am i going to gain what am i going to lose and time is usually one of them in that time of execution time to hi- uh, time to execute time to hire a team to be able to convince good folks to come and join you if you've raised money from somebody so all of that is a pro and con usually and then on the other side you basically look at it if i don't do this what else can i achieve like you do the pro and con on both the sides right like if i raise if i don't raise pro and con and then you need to as a founder pick what works for your style a lot of founders are comfortable so either or mm. what works for your style self awareness is actually the key here absolutely absolutely so i we used to joke right mike and i when when we had raised the initial round for us it almost felt like when we had raised an initial round there was like a 2 million dollar round and that was our seed round so we actually did our seed from vcs that's why i'm saying don't do seed from vcs there was the, some difficulty not difficulty but like i feel like a lot of our peers raised from angels i saw them getting that advice vc don't have the time and bandwidth for it right so we still were able to figure out the network but that was primarily due to yc why combinator so i'm going to give you a flow chart based on what you said ideally try bootstrapping If you can, great. If you can't, first try finding angels within your network. Ideally, friends and family who won't put pressure on you the, the way some angels might. Right. If you want bigger checks, ideally go to angels, and ideally they should be guiding you from a technical as well as business standpoint as well. Yeah. Often with very very good angels who have good repute in the market, they will connect you to the right uh, venture capitalists for your next round of funding. Yeah, I mean, I next round of funding should not even be in your mind, right? Like your objective after the angel round is to focus on like what you started the business for, and you didn't start the business to raise money. Mm. You start the business for, with some objective to get customers to have revenue to do something, create some impact. Focus on that. Don't worry about the funding as as the only thing. So next. if if you have actually raised money from angels, um, your ideal case scenario is that you never need to go to VCs. I don't think that's the ideal case. Uh, okay, uh, that's a wishful case. <laughs> right not an ideal case cuz practically speaking a lot of times you will have to go to vcs why like i'll take our example right sure. so we've not raised post our seed round so i think i'm i'm sort of qualified to speak for that we debate internally mike and i i mean i was giving that example of 
the joke we used to make when we raised that 2 million round for us it felt like we've been put on top of a tiger and the tiger is running at a super quick fast pace if i try to get down the tiger will eat me what what does that mean you mean like meaning, meaning now i'm on the vc bandwagon right so i'm looking forward to certain milestones and metrics and that's all i'm focusing on because when vcs give you that much money the clock has started they've set goals for you as well also time right there you remember like i said 7 to 10 years is their milestone so the clock has started their clock has started they want to figure out can they come in in the next round if you are successful and then like in x number of years they want to give a return to their lps so you are on on top of tiger which is running very fast and on a human level the individual work equation with your vc then kind of becomes like them being your boss in some ways you're not them being your boss you're usually your your boss is your board to a, for a ceo the boss is the board right because and and i'm assuming a lot of these vcs would be on the board but it's the entire board that you are accountable to as like they are your boss the board can fire a ceo hmm right so so ceo reports to the board right so, so that's the, how i would think the vc it. in exchange for the money they'll get equity and some seats on the board usually usually, usually. depending on the stage which is why i said don't take vc money at seed stage because at seed stage you want flexibility to be able to later choose who comes in the board and not there's one more nuance there if a vc invests in your seed round and does not lead your series a for example that's a signaling issue what i mean by that is let's say x investor put in money a million dollars in your seed round but they say when you go raise your start raising your fundraising for series a and they don't commit to be the lead investor lot of other vc will start questioning why is that investor not leading the round because they have all the access to data mm. so it becomes a signaling issue right so that's another thing to keep in mind and vcs talk to each other 100% everybody talks to each other everyone talks to each other this is something you learn as a raw truth of life as yeah. life moves forward yeah yeah absolutely so as even in the dating game <laughs> <laughs> it's similar it's similar right because look at the end of the day for 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 them we are a deal but for them they are the ecosystem so they have to talk to each other because a lot of them also co-invest they bros basically yeah they it's part of their business we're putting our money here hey guys why don't you guys join yeah, us here yeah. Yeah. or you know what we're not going to be a part of the next round hey why are you not going to be a part of the next round yeah. well i have access to some data okay then i'm going to back out too yeah that's happens that's around. what you're saying yeah and then there's fomo also i'm doing the entire round so the other person will come in and say like i want to do 120% right so so there's fomo also that happens how do you go into a room full of vcs and then play a good game or let me rephrase that you know what i meant yeah. you understood my question trying to while, phrase that better while fundraising initial fundraising yeah while trying to fundraise how do you ensure that you win in that room yeah for me it was very nerve wracking cuz it was my first time and i was in the rooms for like all the tier a vcs uh, so there's this road in the bay area called sandhill road all the major vc names we've heard of are there right there so it's like it's a it's a dream come true when you go to that road right i mean you can see all the names there which you've heard online we don't have anything like that in india here uh so that's what i did and it's very nerve wracking go from office to office with these big names in there but i think at least my learning was even if you're seed fundraising be prepared like have a strong deck whatever like yc prepares you with the who are you selling to what is your skill set what are you going to sell towards why now why you all of that i think you need to tell a very strong story around is it. there a blueprint of a strong deck I think there are there, there are CEOs who have put out blueprints for series A B C online but you just don't want to copy that I mean use it as a blueprint 
not just like copy that end to end you obviously want to sort of tweak that to your style with numbers that match your market our vc is looking for a chunk of data or a chunk of storytelling or both depends on the stage at seed stage not too much data because you don't have data it's very early stage series b and c no storytelling it's all data right like if your numbers don't match up to what you're saying they don't care about the story because the story time is gone series a a mix of both how do you think byju's raised so much money when all the shit is coming out now i think it's also a combination of 2021 2022 like frothy valuations most companies were able to raise whatever they asked for not just in india same story with us why i think fundamentally if you look at it economically interest rates were at 0% right so where do, where does all the money go like from lps into vc funds and stock markets that's what happened if you look at public company valuations they were insane and most companies have dropped 90% now okay correct me if i'm wrong about what i'm about to say next the geopolitical scenario of 2021 and 2022 was such that the same people who invest like ultra high net worth individuals who have a plethora of options to put their own money in chose to put their money in the stock market as well as in vc funds in order to get maximum returns so there was an excess of cash in vc funds in this case yeah vc funds were able to raise money very very easily which is why they were okay to put it at whatever valuations like vcs also raise money from lps but if we are generally at like how the start of this conversation we spoke about how the current trend is people look for profitability in startups and that's right. how business is run right shouldn't vcs also be looking at profitability profitability no not really cuz look there they don't look at that okay they look at maximizing their returns like they want that 10x 20x returns and they cannot get those returns if there is if the growth is not high they look for growth cuz like i said there is a timeline there's a you have to hit a certain milestone within a certain timeline it's usually 5 7 10 years 10 is 10 to 12 is the outer outer timeline so how do you maximize your return by faster growth so they're okay in saying i will invest in 100 companies that's a bc model i'm okay to invest in 100 companies 80 of them die 20 will be my bigger bets or biggest bets but i want them to be really big that will give me my 100x 200x and then my net net portfolio is 10 to 20x okay but if it's following a trend which seems to be growing over 10 years you'd probably be able to raise a lot of money because the data of that trend is going straight into the vc's minds and they're thinking ah found a business that fits this trend so might as well put more money into this very rudimentary explanation please correct me disagree with me if you think yeah a lot of lot of vcs also have thesis right uh, around markets which is why i use the word fomo so if they have a thesis around a market right and they see like three other top top tier vcs giving term sheets then there's a lot of fomo that comes in and the price goes up it's like supply and demand supply so when there are more vcs price automatically goes up that's what happened in 2021 everybody had a lot of money all the vcs there's a lot of term sheets that came in people were asking for ridiculous valuations and they got it because of like the phenomena that happened but i'm not sure if that's ever going to come back ever is a wrong word <laughs> never say never never say ever but but i think it's not going to come back in the near future at least with with now the interest rates being at its peak we still haven't seen the rate cuts in us and so on Okay, coming back to your story, then what happened after Y Combinator in your life? Sure. Uh, I the first thing that happened was TechCrunch. 
we raised our seed round and we got TechCrunch. So I think as a founder entrepreneur, I think TechCrunch now is very different than what it was in 2012. It was at its peak. So getting TechCrunch was a thing. What it is was getting TechCrunch? Like getting covered in TechCrunch. Like you get a dedicated article in TechCrunch that will raise money and you know, Plevo launches in 50 countries, blah, 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 right? So as a first time founder, I mean, I keep calling myself first time founder because Plevo's at this scale, it's my first venture, right? So when when we got TechCrunch the first time, we partied the whole night. That's a very different moment, right? Like it was, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was that exciting. It was, it was more exciting than raising money. What does it mean being featured in TechCrunch? You get noticed. You get noticed, you get a lot of customer leads. Uh, you become legitimate. So imagine like two immigrant founders in the country going through YC, raise money and then TechCrunch featured you. And then suddenly next day morning you wake up, so I'm taking sales calls. Next day, phones constantly keep ringing. It's like being on Tech Joe Rogan. Yeah, more than that. Actually, TechCrunch back in the day had like much more reach than Joe Rogan. Really? Yeah, yeah. TechCrunch was like the thing for startups, right? 2012-2013. Uh, so yeah, I mean, getting TechCrunch was, it was a verb. I think the the sentiment is now going down. It's not the same anymore, like 10 years later or 11 years later. So yeah, that was like super exciting. Like I said, we partied the whole night, me and Mike. Uh, we didn't know what to do, <laughs> right? We were like, okay, we have to start, get to work tomorrow. But it was like crazy that day. Um, and like I said, it was a, a dream moment, right? One of the moments I remember like highs of of all of that and then next day reality kicked in the good thing was for the next four five six months we got a lot of incoming leads because of the article right uh, and then reality kicked in tons of issues on the platform customers complaining support tickets you know bugs uh, and and that's when you realize look all that whatever happened is not the business and no not the business like the business is something else that's just those are just you know sort of uh brushes in a different or, or colors in a different brush tone but the primary lane is what you need to focus on don't get distracted because that's when reality kicked in and like customers would yell at us and tell us like something's not working or something's gone wrong or what have you they don't care are you tech crunched or have you raised so much money none of that matters correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like at least in my life i've noticed that the biggest dreams that you dreamt about when you were in college or right out of college happened during the busiest phases of your life and you're too busy to truly enjoy that dream completely. At least I've noticed this in my own journey. Like something huge happens and I'm so busy that I can't even pay attention to it. Yeah. And then a week or two weeks later, I'm just sitting with one of my co-founders and then we talk. We're like, oh, that happened. Hmm. No, that, that's a good thought. For us, it was definitely that moment, right? Where we couldn't take a week off to enjoy. And, and, and also, I think, like I said, it was a grounding moment. That like, did we, I mean, in hindsight, all this, I, I can say all of this, like, is that something we should have even aspired to like getting tech crunch? Cause, cause the reality is business is on a different lane, but you know, as first time founders, you do have some of these aspirations, like raising your first million dollars, getting your first customer, you know, getting your first million in revenue, getting tech crunch was one of them back in the day. I'm, I'm assuming now it's influencers, right? Like being covered in an influencer channel. And so on and so forth. I think there are different. I don't know because I'm in the, I'm yeah, in sure, the. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think some of that uh, is is what I, I feel like what people think. But, but that that's learning. So, so that happened. Would you, would you say your phase post 
tech crunch and yc has been kind of just the run of the mill running a business facing problems gradually scaling yeah yeah absolutely i mean i wouldn't call it run of the mill there it's like a sine wave higher highs and lower lows right uh, so the sine wave just keeps sort hmm. of exponentially growing <laughs> higher highs and lower lows yeah, wow yeah right like it just keeps exponentially growing so if it started out like that and it just keep this is what the shark tank watching audience doesn't understand about the truth of running businesses the higher highs and lower lows lower lows yeah as amazing as shark tank has been for business education in our country and all over the world no one covers this aspect of hmm. scaling businesses yeah um do you want to say anything about that yeah and and i think yeah one thing i want to say is like i think as a leader and a founder in a company over time like when you have more and more employees today we have 300 you sort of feel a sense of sense of responsibility right where sometimes like it even keeps me awake at night thinking about you know there are a lot of things that are not in our control market changes you know customers may not like the product tomorrow there could be an outage and a downtime in the product where nothing works if any of that happens there are still 300 people who have you know decided to be with us and sort of bet their careers on plivo so it's my responsibility to make sure that we don't put let them down and in in the last 13 years we obviously parted ways with a lot of folks for various different reasons but it's never been for like our mistakes of burning money not having money you know all of that right like we've never fired anybody for market recession or any of that never zero right so so that that's something i feel over time the responsibility continues to increase because the number of employees keep increasing did you move to america after this phase yeah no i already moved to uh, the us in 2012 right so and i was there till 2016 full time i was not in india between 2012 and 16 early 16 like late 15 early 16 and in 2016 then the team in india became large enough that i realized uh, and and both mike as well he's french but he spent 3 years in india right uh, so we realized we'll have to do back and forth so my lifestyle since then 2016 till today has been 3 months back and forth what do you make of life in the us it's different uh, i think a lot of so i'll give you my perspective on on people's perspective so what i'd heard is everything's very structured which i agree with uh you can move between cities and states and you won't feel the difference because everything is built a certain way everything set a certain way that's the primary difference compared to india india like one apartment and the other apartment is night and day difference that's not the case there even the like refrigerator to like microwaves to the way a gas top is everything's the same so you don't feel like you're moving around okay almost everything's the same i think that's one major difference us has given a lot to us so i want to be fair I don't think I would be what I am today in terms of the company and and where we've what whatever we've achieved in life without US because a large portion of our revenue and customers come from the US. So to me that like is of immense value. Is it true that if you're hard working and if you're focused on adding value you will grow in the USA? That's what all my friends who move there. Not everywhere in the US. I've lived in different pockets of US now. I think this is definitely true for Bay Area. Also in New York, coasts coast new york and bay area i don't know if this is the same thing with every other state in the us because a lot of cities and states are still sort of uh, waking up to tier 2 and waking up to the startup economy uh, it's changing but i think bay area this is 100% true coast right like west coast and east coast both like 100% true like if you're a hustler if you can make things happen put in the effort you'll get your reward
ओके स्लाइटली हटके क्वेश्चन ओके दिस इज नॉट कम्प्लीटली रिलेटेड टू स्टार्टअप बट बिकॉज यूर एन इंजीनियरिंग ग्रैड फ्रॉम अ नॉन इंडियन आईवी लीग कॉलेज विच इज मोस्ट ऑफ अस पैरली यू बिल्ट आउट अ मल्टी मिलियन डॉलर बिजनेस इन द यूएसए इन योर आईज वॉट डू यू मेक ऑफ द लाइफ ऑफ इंडियन स्टूडेंट्स एस्पेशली इंजीनियर्स बट आई एम आस्किंग यूएस फॉर फैटर पे पैकेजेस वॉट्स योर टेक ऑन इट डू यू थिंक दैट्स अ गुड लाइफ and keeping all factors in mind yeah sure i look i mean i i, I think the the popular answer is no why no the popular answer is no i have a different opinion on it the popular answer is no because of a deshbhakti angle deshbhakti angle like you know why don't you create a business why only look at a paycheck all of that is a popular answer i have a different opinion now that i've reflected enough on this for so many years i think to each their own i think it should be clear on why you're doing a startup don't do it's very easy to start a startup it's not easy to carry that through it's 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 difficult it takes a lot of effort time and number of years so be clear on why you want to do something right be very very clear on that if it's just for money i think we are seeing more and more avenues of making money in different areas not just startups so in, in america us india everywhere now like for example like there are a lot of millionaires you know 10 plus millionaires 10 10 million plus million dollar sort of folks who are not startup founders but they joined startups early on right or at the right time where they were they've grown as execs or you know they got esops and the number of them now so it necessarily does not take for you to start a startup if you are smart and talented and you think you don't want to necessarily start a startup the other option is go join a startup right so you need to be clear why you're doing something so my opinion is it is fine if you just want to go take a big paycheck but be clear that that's what you want like you joining that just for paycheck but be mindful it may not be aligned with what you want to do and you may be losing your number of years of whatever your prime time is you have to be mindful to that and then don't have expectations that you will create greatness when your objective was money because a lot of times you may not get both right you'll have to take a call if you get both you're super lucky but i think that number of those people are very less where you get to do both do you ever talk to indian immigrants in the us about this brain drain situation like is that a topic that comes up yeah yeah absolutely i mean i have a lot of friend circle in the like the i think i would say a large majority of the bay area i keep saying south bay large majority of south bay is mostly indians and and southeast asians chinese right most of them are that so yes absolutely i have a large circle there and we talk and uh yeah i think there are two perspectives so it depends on the age right uh, people in their mid 20s late 20s and early 30s still don't have that perspective deeply ingrained or they don't think about it enough people who have kids post 35 early 40s a lot of them have come back and want to come back for two reasons one they want to make sure their kids get educated in india why i, I mean this is again a controversial topic the education system in us is changing uh, dramatically i mean you must have heard about woke culture and woke teachings in schools that it's 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 an actual thing a lot of my friends who are in their late 30s and early 40s have come back uh, because of that right so so they don't want all of that education and parents are not even informed of whatever is their kid is being taught in school why but that like that's what is changing in the us right now that's why you see a lot of that talk around woke culture there right like for example joe rogan talks about it on every episode yeah exactly so so it's a real thing right like i mean i have spoken to my friends and it's happening with their kids so for example a kid goes to a school 
and if the kid identifies at a certain gender or or certain type even if they are let's say 10 11 years old the parents would not be informed okay is it true because i i got this, this from some bros that i hung out with someone said that if you are a child in america you can go to a hospital for a sex change without your parents's consent and have your sex surgically changed yeah it's completely up to you as a 10 year old this is a huge political topic in the us right now and there's a left versus right debate and that's what the country is fighting on so like in india there is a lot of talk on the country being divided and left and right the same exact same thing is happening in us right now there's a major division between left and right around these ideologies right i don't know if you've read the book uh, elon musk the biography walter isaacson he openly sort of uh, shares in that book that his daughter changed uh, her sex and that's why he moved from california to austin and that's why he's against the woke agenda right so if it can happen with elon musk you can only imagine what is what is going to be with like regular people i have a lot of american friends and i have friends from lots of different countries thanks to my job which entails that i travel a lot the one thing that i've noticed about most americans i mean not all and i am generalizing you but most of the americans i meet is that they're very hesitant while talking you know they'll say something in the middle of the sentence they'll apologize and say no i didn't mean it that way i meant like that and this i've seen so much where i sometimes make the american person sit down and say listen stock openly chill i'm not judging you i won't get offended by anything you say and then they open up a little bit hmm. that makes me think of what some conversations have become in america where people get offended easily through just conversation yeah i don't think it's just america though i think it's happening in india also india also there is a huge polarized bias on left versus right people like the gen z especially gets offended like that right uh, so i think it's a global phenomenon this this divide in left versus right i know a lot of friends in, across the globe i mean uk is another example europe this is happening right now right as we speak so uh, i think this is a global phenomena that is happening almost in every country now netherlands there was a you know prime minister elected who doesn't who opposes specific religion with him getting in, coming in power same thing has happened there now so i think every you know and and then the the israel palestine thing has brought up so many uh, you know sort of it's like a pandora's box that has been opened right which is i think this phenomenon is happening in every country now where because of this divide and you know polarized sort of thought process people are scared to speak up or speak their mind because once you see the money that you left this country for you realize that maybe that's not the answer no the ones that and i think okay two three things have changed right like 10 years ago versus now one the pay divide was very large in us and india 10 years ago not the case anymore you can make okay maybe not the number to number it's different but you can save as much or more money in india now than than in us oh really yeah yeah indian big. indian indian salaries have gone up big time plus the cost of living in america is a lot so exactly. even the salaries are extremely inflated yes. you are also spending that much money to yes survive in the us absolutely and and that's where i'm saying like you saving i didn't use the word make you know dollar to dollar but you save more or similar amounts of money in in india so people have realized that and they're okay with that you know i have always believed that a college student should usually take advice from a professional under the age of 40 hmm. it's what i did when i was in college and that was the right way to go probably when i was graduating i would have taken advice from someone who's 10 years older than myself and that was the 
good advice that I got versus the advice that I got from relatives who are 20, 30 years older than me, who gave me a lot of wrong advice, which I understand now because I saw what happened in my own career. Uh, the one advice I give to a lot of the engineering grads in the US who are thinking about the next stage. Uh, I actually talked to them about possibly moving to Dubai or Saudi Arabia. These are the two countries that are coming up. And I've gone to Australia, seen how life in that country is, and it's spectacular. Um, I also believe that there's opportunities in these three countries. I'm not promoting Australia tourism or Saudi tourism or Dubai tourism here. But I want to know what you think of these three options. Because when I was graduating, I think the only options were America and some people used to think of UK, yeah. Europe. Um, but now people, I think, actively think about UAE, Saudi, Australia, these places. Yeah, I, I don't have a perspective on Australia. I have not spent time there. So I, I don't have a perspective on Australia. I think um, I would still rate India higher than Dubai. Right? I have a lot of friends. In fact, some of my relatives as well in Dubai. I tell them to come back to India. <laughs> right? So I would rate India much more higher than and Dubai. Because I think uh, Dubai still doesn't have that same level of exposure and scale. It does not. India has that exposure and scale. Especially if you are in tech. Now I'm being biased. No, sure. Especially if you're in tech, India is the place to be. Exposure and scale. On in tech is what I mean. What does that actually mean? Like look at the uh, look at the amount of VC funding that is going in startups. Dubai doesn't even come close to India, right? Like US, China and India. I mean, India is number three. So the, you want to be at the right place at the right time to be able to capture the upside. It's like buying a stock. You don't buy the stock when it's on the top, right? I'm not saying Dubai is on the top, but the upside is very limited there. The growth is very limited there. Okay, you get zero tax. But the upside is very limited there. Where in India, you have an exposure to such wide variety of things. You want to do D2C, there, there is so much VC money in the market. You want to do B2B, we are seeing a boom on that. If you want to do bootstrap startups, that's possible here. right? If you want to go join a larger company or a corporate, you can do that also. If you don't want to do anything in tech and you want to do alternative careers, right? Even that's opening up now, right? Like you are one great example of that. So I think, I don't think, uh, see Dubai is good from a regulation standpoint. There are a lot of things that are allowed in Dubai that may not be possible in India. For example, crypto is an example, right? But I think for most folks, with the exception like, if you're doing something in crypto, possibly you should be in Dubai or Singapore. But for most folks, outside of that exception, I would say like, India is the place to bet because you want to be part of the rising tide versus coming here after five, seven years. And what is life in Austin like where Elon, Joe Rogan and now yourself, all of you guys have moved. I'm not in the same league, but one day, right? <laughs> uh, but I mean, Austin is great. I, I think uh, also multicultural, we're seeing more and more startups go there. I don't like the weather there. It's super hot. It's like Dubai. Really? In some, yeah, it's like super hot. I love the California weather, San Francisco weather and Bay Area weather. I love the weather there. I love the food there. I think Austin needs, you can't fix the weather. Weather is weather. Austin also needs like more multicultural cuisine. But people are nicer in Austin. The other things, California and like South Bay and Bangalore weather is almost the same. Right. So if you see the crowd is a tech crowd. So a lot of people are also very happy with their, you know, Google uh different kind like Facebook or different companies there in the Bay Area. So they can't also move, right? Because their companies have offices there and their jobs required them to be in California. When a lot of companies allowed you to work remote, a lot of people experimented. They were experimenting in Austin, Florida, 
and now a lot of people are being asked to come back to office and they're not happy so they have to move back to cali yeah or they just have to come back every month on their own cost at their own cost for meetings and stuff even if they don't move back okay venki b that's it that's today's episode sure so was, how was it for you this was great yeah i think um, it flowed from one topic to another yeah that's podcasting I, I hope it comes out well yeah it was a lot of fun man like love talking to engineers love talking to engineers who've seen this much material success because you've used that same skill set that's ragdoor into our heads in college to go about life mm. love knowing about your momo phase uh crazy what you've done with life mm. so i know that often as founders and engineers we don't take a pause and notice all the good shit that's happened but a lot of good shit that's happened in your life mm. so i meet people every single day because of the show uh but the ones i love meeting the most are cricketers mm. and engineering grads why cricketers one because i'm a cricket fan two because mm. the mentality just rubs off very intensely mm. like it's a very different mentality it's it's any the competitive calm i think any any sport is competitive but mm. calm yeah yeah you need to be very calm as mm. a person to be a cricketer because at that level it's a mental game mm. cricket is the world's only team sport which is actually an individual sport Mm. so it's 1v1 you can win the game individually yeah brain versus brain so mm. you, the brains are very different and i don't feel traditional broadcasters are able to bring out the psychology of cricketers well sure. but uh, i love talking to engineers also because i feel in our core no matter what we do in life we're still going to be those same students trying to finish file submission on time and like submitting it and facing teachers mm. so thank you good sir this was a lot of fun sure and i wish you all the luck same to all your future endeavors thank you that was today's podcast i'm recording this right after venki bhai has left the studio uh what i loved about him was how understated he was and i personally feel that as a media professional with this kind of a platform it's my responsibility to bring you guys the right kind of mindsets that it takes in order to find success in life I urge you to go follow Venki Bhai on all his social media handles. I've linked them down below, but what I urge you to do even more is to understand from these legends of the startup space. I'm dying to bring on more founders on the podcast. We bring on a lot of founders on the Hindi podcast, but tell me as members of the English audience what more you'd like to see from these startup themed episodes. These are the kind of episodes I enjoy this much because these are all the questions I had at age 22. I'm getting the answers at age 30 but I sincerely hope that these podcasts are adding value to the lives of tomorrow's business and career superstars it's another epic episode of TRS and we're going to be back see you soon